Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions provides very easy to set up lines of credit for small businesses, and I will be your host today for the Entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you are interested in learning more about the business line of credit, which I highly recommend, I think everybody should have a business line of credit just in case, uh, then please visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Over the last 25 plus years, I have built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies on the Inc. 500 fastest growing list. I love learning from people and with business experience. And today I'm very excited to be speaking with Stefan Georgie from Copy Accelerator. Stefan is considered to be, by many, to be the world's best active copywriter, having sold over $1 billion in products and services with his words. He's also an accomplished entrepreneur who has founded or co-founded nine different businesses that have scaled to at least seven figures with several of those businesses reaching the eight or nine figure mark. Today, Stefan spends much of his time focusing on his Copy Accelerator Mastermind Group, which helps freelancers and, and entrepreneurs to create sales funnels that, that can reach scale and impact more lives. Stefan, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here. So today we're going to talk about uh, the, the keys to persuasive communication to drive sales, and you know this is this is such a a, a, a very uh, a good topic. We just updated our website. We just you know went from the old website to the new set website. I'm like, you know, whenever I do that, I'm like, I roll my eyes because I'm like, ugh, it's so much work, and you know we had to you know relook at our copy make sure it was persuasive, make sure it was concise, make sure it was edited correctly, uh, spelling, all the other stuff, and make sure we had the right keywords in it as well, which kind of sometimes affects persuasiveness as well. So for you know SEO purposes. Um, so I, I completely agree, uh, get the idea of how important the written word is to persuasive communication, not only for your website, but also to drive um, internal communication and culture. Uh, is that what you think too? Yeah, absolutely. My background is as a direct response copywriter, meaning for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that means, writing advertisements basically and you know writing ads where we want the a, pros, a prospect or prospective consumer to you know directly respond to that ad and pick up the phone and call or click the button or whatever but what i've kind of realized over i don't know 11 or so years of doing this is a lot of those same elements that you're using when you write effective ads and effective ad copy are actually pretty universal and apply to a ton of things whether it's internal communications with your team and setting a vision as a leader and getting a team to buy in to that vision, right? Because we need them to actually buy in, whether it's the copy and comms on our website, press releases, in-person meetings, sales calls, presentations, really it, it's, it's, yeah, these elements are, are applicable everywhere. So I, I definitely agree with you. 
it's interesting how you can find a um a a word that can define a company too. Like we worked on this really great project. We had read a my, when I say we, my team. This is a while ago. I had one of this. I had a company that placed travel nurses or registered nurses at hospitals, and we worked on this project where we were kind of coming up with a tagline, so to speak. It was called the the book's called The Inside Advantage, which I would highly recommend by Robert Bloom. He was the founder and CEO of Publicis, which is the largest advertising agency in the world. And I met him, and his book was one of my best books I've ever read. So I had the team read it. We worked on it. But the, the tagline that we came up with, and he this wasn't about finding a tagline. This was also about creating a culture of what we did, was the, the term was rewarding travel experiences. And that word rewarding was such a key word for how we communicated our vision and uh, to our not only to our internal staff, but also to our, uh, the, our customers. So I, you know, again, it goes back to the idea of that perfect persuasive word or words that really can help propel your company forward. That was a really good company that made Inc 500 fastest growing companies and, and it did well. So, so what, what would you say are some of the key elements to make something persuasive? Yeah, there's it's a great question, and I'm gonna make sure I remember that that book because it sounds like a good one. Um, and, it's, and the other thing that's good about, good about it, it's a small book. <laughs> even even better, I'll actually even read better, it right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's a lot. I think one thing is is grabbing your audience's attention very quickly. And again, this is universal from my perspective, whether it's B two B, direct to consumer, internal. Like we want to grab their attention by sort of cutting right to whatever it is that our, let's just call them our prospect. But again, this could also be a team member, uh, whatever it is they're, they're dealing with, whatever the pain point is, like we want to kind of speak to that right away and acknowledge it and acknowledge that we understand um, it. But we also want to speak to whatever their hopes and dreams are and their core desire is and, and demonstrate that we understand uh, that and that we want to bridge the gap be like, Hey, you know, right now this thing is lacking and we, Here's how we're going to get you to where it's not lacking, where you are fulfilled or where you're even rewarded, right? And so you, I think you have to do that right out the gate, though, if you're communication. Some people do what I call throat clearing, where they sort of have a, a lengthy preamble and they're all over the place. And it's like, I think being more direct and concise from the very beginning and your opening is really important uh, because we have a, only a brief period of time to really capture the attention, the hearts, the emotions, the minds of our prospect and build that rapport with them. And so that's really crucial. And then it ties into really what I talk about from a copyright perspective, but this is universal too, is um, the word or acronym WIFM, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me, right? Because so many times the mistake people make is talking about themselves and their experience and their journey and their struggle. And whether you're getting the buy-in from a team or a prospective customer, it's like they're interested in your story, but they're also all of us are kind of sitting here like, okay, how does this relate to me and, and my context? And whether that's an, an ad, somebody is like, well, oh, great story, but I'm over here with my whole life to live. So can we get to it? Uh, how does this impact me? And for a team member, it's like, well, you know, great. Glad that you're going to, this will help you to reach these goals, but how does it help me to reach my goals, right? We need alignment. So uh, big, impactful openings and answering what's in it for me very early on are, are two good ones. Uh, there's plenty, but those are two good ones to start with. You think that uh, 
whenever you're doing some type of communication, um, whether it be on the website, whether it be, you know, people still do mailers. I, I, I've done it. Um, do you think it's really important to get the copywriter involved and outside copywriter involved in, in before or after it's written? You know, it, it, it depends. My bias would be having a good copywriter, you know, write it, um, I think would be better because ideally they're, they're an expert, right. And, uh, really know what, uh, what to say and what levers to pull. The copywriter needs to come in and really understand your business and your messaging and your goals and, and ideal outcomes and everything. So that's why they have to be a good copywriter. A lot of, of good copywriting is not writing, but it's really research and, and understanding your market, right? Um, that's a huge part of it. Uh, but, you know, other times, if, if that's not an option, uh, then having a copywriter coming after to kind of wordsmith it and rearrange things or you know, that can definitely be valuable as well. So when you are making something super persuasive, um, what was the acronym that you, you said again? It's what, what's in it for them, right? What's in it for me? So with them. What's in it for me? <laughs> what's yeah. It? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what do you think when you're uh, about to hire a copywriter? You know, what do you think is something that's important to, to look for? So great question. And, and one that's near and dear to my heart since I've, I've trained so many copywriters and hired so many. Uh, so I want to see that their you know, application, their cover letter should almost be like copy itself, right? So going back to what I said, they should be able to speak to you, the, the business owner, and demonstrate a knowledge of your business uh, and your market and understand the challenge that you're facing, which is causing you to reach out and hire a copywriter. And this could just be that your challenge is we want to grow revenue and our advertising is not uh, where it needs to be, right? It could be something more concrete or specific. So I want them to speak to the uh, prospective hirer, like their prospective customer and really persuade them in their cover letter. I want to see ideally custom samples. I, I put this out a lot. I think resumes are less important. I think it's totally cool to ask for one, but you know, with, with a lot of freelance copywriters, especially they may be, the resume is fine, but I want to see what they can actually do. But if they just send you samples, say you're hiring in the, uh, I don't know, like the, the home services niche, like you know, you're a roofer or a contractor, and they send you samples for like a health supplement thing that they wrote, you're like, well, that's not relevant at all, right? So we want relevant samples from them. But even more importantly, I'd prefer they just go and actually go, hey, look, I studied your business. I've seen some emails or your website. I wrote you a couple hundred words of copy, like this could go on your website, or here's an email you could send to your customers or an ad. I think the good copywriters do that because it makes you as the business owner, it's much more easy to envision hiring them and working with them and what that would look like if you could see how their copy would apply directly to you know, your needs. Um, and then honestly too, I usually hire in pairs or threes and I'll hire them on a per project basis to start, test several against each other, and then, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking for a retainer or ongoing thing after I've tested them a little bit, then I'll offer them that because it's still really hard to know until they actually start writing for you. Uh, if maybe their samples were, were kind of uh, looked over by some famous copywriter and that's why they're so good. Maybe they have a terrible work ethic or they're like freelancers are notoriously bad at, at hitting deadlines and they're always moving. I feel like they're always moving whenever the deadline comes and you're like, how apparently you guys move like every, every month. But, um, so, you know, I think hiring for a few small projects to test them out before you make that big commitment, like 
date before you marry is a, is a really important piece of it as well. Well, what else other than uh, what, what do you notice that a good copywriter does other than when you think of a good copywriter, which, which is give me, you know, something that makes sense. What do you, what do you think, you know, like something I, I think of a good copywriter, somebody who's going to be, make sure things are edited right and spelled correctly and, you know, that type of thing. But what else does a good copywriter do? I think a good copywriter, well, they're really capturing the voice, whether that's the voice of a, you know, a founder or a spokesperson or a brand in general. I think that's really important. And a lot of mediocre copywriters can't do it. Like I've personally, I've written for, you know, like Mike Tyson, Tony Horton, uh, Sir Nick Faldo, like all these uh, famous women as well as a female doctor named Dr. Claudia Aguirre, who's really cool. And, and just, but given that, you know, it, it, there's, it takes a lot of, I don't want to say talent, but, but practice and skill and, and, and nuance to be able to write in the correct voice. And sometimes you're writing for a brand, right? Maybe it's a big venture backed brand or whatever it is. Um, so a good copywriter can understand that and actually write in the voice of whoever it is that's you know, delivering the message. And it seems like a small thing, but it's very important. That's a, a, a really big one. If I had to think of any others, I think it also goes back to the research process too. A lot of it is like that they, and, and those are tied together, right? Because if I'm writing in, in your voice, Stephen, I'm going to go listen to all of your podcast episodes. I'm going to find YouTube uh, interviews with you or videos. I'm going to see if there's articles. I'm going to find any content. And I'm going to ask you to get on a call and take an hour to interview you and find out, you know, kind of really so that I'm hearing your voice in my head. But then I'm also going to really research your market on a deep level. And a lot of people want to skip that because the prospect or sorry, the client might say, Hey, yeah, our market's 45 plus men who are interested in weight loss. And, you know, they have a hundred thousand dollar plus, you know, median household income, but that doesn't really give you a lot. But if you start going deeper and like, what are their hopes and dreams, their passions, their victories and failures, what keeps them up at night? What other products have they tried? What did they like and dislike? I mean, we need to go deeper and really understand that. And a good copywriter will, will, go through that process and a bad one will usually skip it and just sort of try to write haphazardly. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, they, you know, I, I'm, so I have a 22 year old, right? He's, uh, and I have a 13 year old, but both boys. And, um, but I've always been very involved with my 22 year old ever since he was very young talking business with him. And so, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, he he has a full time job. He just got a full time job now. It's a very good job. But um, he, um, I was talking to him about company culture, right, and how how it's so important to understand when you go to a company to understand this company culture. And I remember when I originally said to him, you know, about this term company culture, and I, I tried to let him know that what a company culture is, is, is it's, it's, it's personality. It's the personality. And I gave him examples not to belabor this point, but it always has been amazing to me to see when you try to explain somebody company culture, like why companies have culture and why it's so important. It's, you know, it's an inanimate object that you, that you're giving a personality to. And so when you're working with a copywriter, I think one of the side benefits is, uh, or a consultant, uh, uh, you, you 
start to learn something about your company that you just didn't, it was there, but you just didn't know it. Because the copywriter starts to ask you questions or a business consultant starts to ask you questions that forces you to say, this is what my company is about. And a company personality is a big part of that. So I think the side benefit, what I'm trying to illustrate is of working with a copywriter is you start to come up with the idea, what does our company mean? What does it stand for? How do we practice? It's all these critical questions um, that really becomes a big part of you, your company helping it grow, go forward. Um, and it's something that I observed over those you know, 25 plus years. You know, so much so that um, that you have uh, the the second company that I built. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The third company I built, I purposely picked the culture before I hired my first employee, and I because I wanted to hire into that culture, and I didn't want the 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 culture to be just created once we hired all these people. And, um, and I, and I, the funny part about that is um, our hiring got was so much better. Our message on our website was so much better. That's the same company that I did that inside uh, in the insider event, inside advantage uh, book that we did as a team and created the tagline. So, you know, don't you find it fascinating that the, this creates a persona of a company? Yeah, I, well, I do, but I, I'm sorry that the doorbell, of course, is going to ring during a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'm surprised there's no one here for leaf blower because that's usually the go-to whenever you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like I... Um, no, I agree. I think you do discover and learn a lot. And, uh, you know, through that process and through asking the right questions. And I think in the day-to-day grind of running a business, often you maybe start with some of those values, whether they are very explicitly um, elucidated or not, but you kind of lose track of them because you're so wrapped up in the operations and, and growth and, and sort of those types of things. But, you know, actually, I have a qu- I, I'm going to answer your question, but let me ask you, that company where you kind of elucidated the values from the very beginning and the culture, what was that? You have to share, like revenue-wise, was that one of your best companies? Like, because I would, I would almost guess it was because of the, or maybe it was niche and it wasn't, but it was it, not. It was, like a, so, okay. it, it was a good company. We were, so that was a healthcare seeker. It got up to, it was on a uh, eleven million run rate and uh, a year, and it, that made four nine number four ninety eight on the Inc. five hundred fastest growing companies in the United States. And then we got uh, smacked by the two thousand eight recession. Uh, which really affected the industry when we weren't expecting that to happen. Um, and we went from 11 million to 7 million to 3 million to 1 million. And then we closed it, um, you know, a couple of years later. But the, uh, and then if I, however, having said that, if I look at all the companies I had, right, that I have or had, that was the best well run company who had the best employees I've ever had, the best team, the best execution. If, if we had stayed in there an, an additional three to four years after we closed, which I knew, 
we, uh, we would have been back up to 40, 50, 60 million dollars. And I just couldn't handle it at the time. It, I'd stayed in there for four and a half years, still at the million dollar mark. The industry didn't ch- change for eight years. And then, then it came storming back, which I knew it would. I just had to move. So, I, you know, in answer to your question, was it was my um, best company from a well-run standpoint. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I love you sharing the, uh, the numbers on that because it, it's sometimes an idea is, is perfect, but the timing gets off, right? I mean, so you got to align with like the timing in the market and where the market's at. Mm-hmm. And, and so... Um, but yeah, it's really, yeah, the difference weird. too with yeah. expert, you know, the two companies I have, uh, right now, I have three companies now, but they're the companies I have right now have very little employees. They don't have a lot of employees, you know, that healthcare secret company had over a hundred employees. Okay. So that was, um, you know, that was, it seems that's a good correlation when you have a lot of employees, communication becomes even a bigger deal. Right. It sounds so obvious saying that, but we all think the spoken communication word, but it's also the written communication as well. So the companies I have right now are purposely made to have very little employees. Um, so I apply those same principles of that I learned in the um, Inside Advantage book to these, to, to the, I have at Financing Solutions, which is a dynamite company. And I have um, Elite Funeral Funding, which is another really good company uh, from a revenue standpoint. Um, and then I own commercial real estate; that has nothing to do with any marketing. But nice. so, yeah, yeah. So uh, they're just t- kind of different. So, yeah. So, Makes sense. yeah. So, what were you going to say before? Too, well, you know, yeah, <laughs> asked me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was curious because I, I, I found that as an, and even as an entrepreneur that having those values and a vision in place and effectively communicating that to a team makes a huge difference, right? Uh, those things. And then you're going to laugh at, at me as a, a digital marketer, kind of that's my background, but it's like org charts. It sounds so funny, but I'll talk with entrepreneurs and I'm like looking at the companies, like I have a supplement company that in 2015 did 1 million in revenue. In 2016, we did 23 million in revenue, right? Wow. And there's a lot, of, a lot of reasons that happened, but Part of it was like me realizing, oh, I have to actually run a company and be a leader and create real visions and, you know, our real principles and values and, and communicate a vision. And part of it was like the org chart. And then my, I have a, own a call center in Las Vegas that does close to 10 million a year right now. And, and we're looking at growing that more. And um, it kind of came out of that supplement company. And like the, the values that we elucidated were like, you know, all over the wall. I mean, they still are, but we're kind of re- we're looking at because values do change as well as a company grows, right? So the values you had, some of them stay for a long time, like integrity or, or things like that. But but some things will, will change as a culture evolves. But I'll, I'll look at that stuff. And and again, we did like an org chart in 20, gosh, 18, 19, and then suddenly you know started growing by 70% every year. And and you're like, um, like why do I not do that for everything? Like at the, it's so obvious, but as a uh, and not formally educated entrepreneur, you sit back and you're like, wow, I should really do this. And so when you were talking about that, you did it the right way with having the values and, and, and from the beginning. Um, and then, yeah, on the communication side, it's like having, it's one thing to have vision as a, as a leader, the CEO, as an entrepreneur. It's another thing to communicate that vision and share it. And it's another thing to have people actually buy into that vision, right? Well, you so got to live it. 
Yeah, yeah you, you got to live, live it. it. You can't just write it down and uh, say, oh, well, now everybody's going to know what it is. You have to live it, you know, um, in many different ways. Like we would go over with, um, you know, Healthcare Seeker and my other companies. We would go over, you know, once, uh, 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 maybe, it depends on the company, once a month or once a quarter, we would go over what our mission statement was. We would go over what our, what we stood for, what our values were. We'd, you got to just go over that so everybody's aware of it. I listen. I so you learn this stuff. You said you said the word formally trained. Nobody's formally trained in business, and if you right. you know you don't go to college to be an entrepreneur. It's they suck at it. They're just the worst. Okay, you might have one or two colleges in the United States that are that are pretty good at it. You know, Harvard's really I think very very good at it um, because it's very practical. Uh, um, uh, Babson College is a really good college. Those, are, I mean, just two. I just some other ones, but those are ones that I think do a really good job of teaching entrepreneurship. But it's all autodidactic. It's all self-taught. But um, but going back to what you're saying is, so what I've noticed is, as you grow through revenue, you start to really learn um, the d- different sides of your company. You start to apply different practices that are more let's I, I hate to use the word professional but like when you're a small company under a million dollars in size it's it's you you're running the business and stuff like that okay then you get up to the three to five million dollar mark and then you start having employees and you you, you, know, you you're still involved but yet you're starting to delegate more but then when you start getting over to three to five million dollar revenue again it depends on the industry and you're starting to have more employees, then you have to start building formal processes. And, and, and then you start getting into like, also, you know, you have to have KPIs and accounting platforms and all these other things. But on top of that, then you start doing, you know, after 5 million, you start doing mission statements and culture and your, your website gets more sophisticated. And, and, um, you know, you stop, you start to have, uh, manuals, you, you know, like let's use that word loosely, ma- employee manuals and, and, and job descriptions and those type of things. And you're not going to get to that level. And if you want to get above, like, so if you want to jump in revenue, right, if you want to jump in your revenue, it isn't just about getting more clients. It's also about getting more formal in your business. And, and so I think that's where, um, you know, we're, where I know that my, so my last two companies have, I, I have a business partner who's fantastic. The other companies I did not. So when we started, he had prior businesses too. So when we started financing solutions, we were up and running like in three months, which would have taken me three or five years in my other businesses. Like, you know, we were billing uh, with elite funeral funding we were building, uh, billing uh, one million dollars a month in 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 four months. I mean, it was just because we knew all the right things to do, you know, accounting packages, a great website, um, knowing the culture, hiring into the culture, you know, all of these things. So it kind of goes back to what you're saying. Did you have you had that same experience? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think what I hope is that as an ongoing entrepreneur, I'm trying to be more intentional where I to start a new company or even when I do start new companies, I guess, um, 
I'm like, if I can get this stuff in place at the beginning, I'll be yes. in a much better place. It, it, it's what we tend to do is, is we do what you described. It's, it's us. We kind of hire people haphazardly as we're going. And then at a, at a certain point, you know, we look around and we're like, Oh crap, stuff's breaking. And yeah, if we want to grow like, like revenue can solve a lot of problems, right. And especially profitable revenue, but it can't solve everything because uh, you know, at a certain point, if you're not fulfilling, there's an entire other side of the business. There's fulfillment. There's actually managing cash flow. There's there's all the things that you've mentioned. And so I've, I've definitely have had that experience and, and I'm trying to be better about doing it from the beginning. And one reason for me too, is I think where I like being is I don't want to be a bottleneck in any of my companies. I want to be able to remove myself. And historically I've built companies that have, I'm pretty good at generating revenue and building businesses that do that. But then you, you're like, Oh, now I'm, I'm the linchpin and everything. How do I remove myself? And you're, you're going in and trying to reverse engineer everything to get yourself out of the business. And so I, I try to take the mentality now of let me build it from the beginning to where I can be involved because I want to, and I'm passionate and it's fun and it's exciting, but where I also have a very clear path where I can, you know, remove myself from the day to day and be the chairman of the board, so to speak. But you can't do that unless you have all the things that you're talking about in place. So uh, I really think I, I know lots of companies to your point too, doing that five to 10 million range where they're, they're sort of doing it, but they're not. And that's really probably the single thing that's keeping them from leaping, you know, significantly in revenue is becoming like a real business, so to speak, and yeah. getting that stuff in place. Well, it's, it's, you know, when you get to that five and 10 million, what it becomes, I agree with you. And I think what happens is when you get over the 10 million, okay, listen, there's a lot to it. So I don't think it's just one answer. Either you just have a really hot product and you're really doing really, really, that it's just carrying you. You could, listen, I've seen companies that really suck at what they, at internal stuff, at all the stuff we're talking about, right? But they have something that's really hot and it's just taking off and it's carrying them. And eventually that catches up to you. Like it's a lot of times when I see owners who sell their company and they've had one company and I'm like, okay, go do it again and let's see how good you really are because you could potentially have had a really great product and, and stuff. Now, most of us fall into the category of we're competing against a lot of people and then it comes down to incredible execution. Right. And the best companies I've ever seen that I know owners of and stuff that have done really well are the ones that are just incredible at execution. And and when you get over that five or ten million dollar range and it's not the product or service that's driving you, it all comes down to incredible execution. And that means details. And um, I don't think we. Um, I think that at healthcaresecret.com did a great job with execution. Um, I don't, I don't think financing solutions and elite funeral funding is like incredible at execution. We are just in a good market and we, and we're, we're good at what we do, but we also don't have a lot of employees. So um, the owners are very involved in the businesses and we don't need, we we're good at what we do. So we don't need to be like teaching others. And I also think going back to what you were saying, uh, Stefan, too, like I always thought of uh, processes and procedures. And even, I know it sounds crazy, but the written word throughout your organization is, is really the what the owner of the company, the way that he or she wants things done. 
And then when you're in that under $10 million range, you are basically by having written processes, written procedures, uh, really great uh, communication throughout your website, you are making mini me's. That's what you're doing. This is how I would do this. And so you have to, if you wanted to be great at, great at inspection, you, I mean, sorry, great at execution, you have to be as an owner constantly inspecting that or hiring a director of staff to constantly be making sure people are doing it the way that you want it done. And then after you get over the $10 million work, you know, you give people more freedom. I get it. So has that been your experience too? Yeah, totally. And I think on the, on the written side and the persuasive communication stuff, like it's like, just think about assembling furniture and the difference between a terrible set of instructions, right? And a really good set of instructions. And it's night and day, right? How the level of frustration, the friction, uh, your, the speed with which the furniture is assembled, uh, all of those sorts of things. And I think that coming back to like even you know, SOPs and, and comms internally, things like that. Uh, that's why it is so important to be clear and concise and to really make sure that people can understand. Like we've all seen, because just, it's funny, again, going back to these parallels where if I'm writing to a consumer in almost any kind of advertising environment, I, I'm generally trying to write at a very low grade reading level, right? Typically the average American reads at like a seventh or eighth grade reading level. So you really don't want your, you know, copy or your, your writing to be overly complex. And yet you may have a very intelligent kind of a like copywriter or founder or owner or whatever, who loves reading existential philosophy in their spare time and you know, all that. And so they're, they're, they're writing to themselves and that's like not the correct way you need to write to the market. And the same thing with your, your team members as well. It's like, you know, clearness and clarity and, and, and conciseness is just so, um, so important. And, and it makes a difference, I think, between whether your organization quickly gets it and can act on it, or if they're sitting around trying to like, you know, read the tea leaves and figure out what you meant. So it's really important. Well, it's really a good subject. I, you know, I think we took a subject that could be kind of dry and made it interesting. Right. And yeah. uh, I think that was really the purpose of today. Um, you know, uh, I'd like to thank so very much Stefan Georgie from Copy Accelerator for coming on to today's podcast. Um, if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. The Entrepreneur MBA podcast has become very popular. It's listened by thousands of people every single time. And also, if you uh, think that today or any of our other podcasts are good, please give us a five-star review. That really helps us get the word out. That's the algorithm that they use to determine if if a podcast should be moved up in the rankings. And we, we really appreciate that. If you're interested in a business line of credit, please feel free to call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com, FS as in financing solutions, creditline.com. It's only a two minute application with no documentation. You'll get an offer letter. And it's, uh, I think everybody should have a line of credit just in case. Stefan, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, and thank you for, for having me on. So two places. I'm on Instagram, very active there, at Stefan Georgi, uh, so just my name. And then my website, stephanpaulgeorgi.com. And if you go to forward slash subscribe on that website, that's my email newsletter where I email almost every day. And most of the time, don't try to sell you stuff. I just share thoughts on copy, persuasion, marketing, things like that. So it's a pretty valuable resource for people. Uh, so those are two great ways.
Yep. So Stefan, it's Stefan, S T E P H A N, Paul, P A U N. I'm sorry, F A N. So it's S T E F A N P A U L G E O R G I dot com. Yes. Yeah, great. So, uh, you know, for our listeners out there, I think the thing that I took away from today is got to you have to know every you have to work on every part of your business. And if you don't have, you know, if you're working on your copywriting, I think if you're working on redoing your website or doing your website, I think it's really important for you to work on what's your mission now, what is your culture, what are your values, because that's going to come across in the written word that your copywriter is going to use for your website and for what other communications. And I think that that's what really came out today to me was the idea that this is an important part of your business to have to, to really drive sales, right? If you're going to drive your sales, you have to have great communication, uh, persuasive communication, and it all starts with the people that your your audience is really uh, reading. So uh, everybody, uh, have a fantastic day. I hope everyone out there is safe and doing well. Uh, make sure you're taking good care of yourself. And I'll see you on the next Entrepreneur MBA podcast.